Do you know those making an impact in your neighborhood? Maybe they're well-known and established, or just getting started. Either way, let's chat. We'll be diving deep into their story, what fuels them, and how they help our community. Hi, I'm Krisha, host of Let's Chat. My goal is to connect those making an impact in the community with you, our listeners. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in this evening. Before we kick off tonight's show, I just want to do a quick little recap of the previous episode. We had Chuck and Janet Sirk, your Lancaster real estate agent. They gave us a unique perspective on their services and how modern technology really helps their customers with selling homes and buying homes. And if you're curious about my other episodes, check out all of Let's Chat on the Candy Factory Collective's website, which is candyissweet.com backslash candy factory collective. So I am, you know, I feel like I say this every week, but I'm really, really excited to speak with our guest tonight, Susie Sutton. If you don't know her, I, now's your chance to get connected. And I like to call her the Jane of uh, all trades because first of all, she's a firefighter. She's also a business owner, and she is a USA FIH umpire and a really, really, really great dog mom. So without further ado, welcome, Miss Susie Sutton. Hello. Hey. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad I'm making you do this with me. (laughs) (laughs) Getting you outside of your comfort zone is awesome. I'm just kidding. Of course. No, I know you're going to be great. You're going to be so good. So I think we should tell everybody how we met. How'd we meet, Susie? So there's this really great boxing studio (laughs) called Envision Fit Train with an awesome lady named Teresa Fackler. Yeah. And uh, I fell into training getting ready for a field hockey tournament. And luckily, um, you were boxing and I was boxing. And here we are. I was boxing. And I miss it. I will get back. My body... I turned a certain age this year, and it's just revolted against me. Like, we are not aligned, okay? I think I might actually have a broken toe right now. But, uh, yeah, so I'm getting back. But, yeah, I met Susie through boxing. And, yeah, Susie also persuaded me to sign up as a volunteer firefighter. But we'll talk more about that later. (laughs) Yeah, we're still – we got to finish that. We got to steal the deal tonight. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I have to wrap up my uh, clearances. They're good. I'm I'm good to go. But, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Hey, Chuck, thanks for joining us. And just to let everybody know that we are available for questions, so ask anytime. So, Susie, let's start back at the beginning. You uh, you graduated from Dallas Town in York. So you're a Central PA native, I would yes. say, not just a Lancaster. Okay, yeah. Um, and then sports was your life, right? Right. So uh, all growing up, my parents were coaches. Uh, I was around sports. Um, my dad used to coach Columbia High School. Uh-huh. Um, boys basketball team, they won a state championship in 1987. So that actually kind of um, put me on a path to wanting to be involved with sports for the rest of my life. And that's what I thought I was going to do. And then uh, I went to college at Northwestern University out in Evanston, Illinois. And um, boy, it was that an uh, eye-opener. But I went for a scholarship with field hockey and also then played a year of basketball. So um, stayed very involved with sport. In fact, from basketball season, the softball coach came up to me and said, hey, will you be a manager for the softball team? So as soon as basketball (laughs) was done, I went right into being a manager for the softball team. And uh, my first trip with with them was to Hawaii. So that was pretty awesome. I, you, I don't under, just fall into it, right? You do. (laughs) And I, I, let me just formulate a sentence. I think that that's amazing as a friend, but I'm like, man, 
I just, you know, nobody's ever offered to take me to Hawaii, but <laughs> someday I'll get there. But that's awesome. That means you're, you're aligned with something and working well. So, yeah. So then college, played field hockey, got scouted there, and you had an injury? Yeah. So that kind of changed the trajectory for me. Um, I was fairly good in college, but our team was not great. We were 0-10 and 10 the year before I arrived at Northwestern in the Big Ten. And then by my senior year, we were 500, if people aren't familiar with sport, but that's like, you know, half and half wins and losses. Yeah. So that's a big improvement. But um, during my, I want to say it was my sophomore year, uh, of course, we were playing Penn State. Hopefully, there aren't any Penn State fans on right now. But uh, I dove for a ball and ended up kind of squashing my foot underneath me and couldn't really figure out what I'd done to it. So... Um, yeah, kind of played through injury, but it really determined the way I um, utilized the education um, for people that aren't familiar with Northwestern. It's like the Ivy of the Midwest. Yeah. So I went there for sports. I'll be completely honest, but I came out um, kind of I've learned how to be a student and learned how to learn and really be open minded and understand different topics from all different perspectives and ended up writing a thesis of why athletes play through pain. So that was quite interesting out of the injury. Oh, check that out someday. Yeah. Yeah. I, can, I can even get that, yeah. And so we have a BS in communications. And then how did you get into uh, um, umping? What you, umpiring. What is, umpiring. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was trying to explain to you before that, right. I mean, we as um, fans always yell at the refs. Um, but in the umpire world for field hockey, we make judgment calls. So that's the reason that we call ourselves umpires. You'll often see that in baseball as well. Like the strike zone becomes a judgment call area um you'll see in basketball and some of the other sports black and white uniforms for referees so they're Mm -hmm. making black and white decisions really cut and dry um for the most part but it's it's never easy to be an umpire um i thought i was going to stay in athletic administration and Mm -hmm. uh, ended up finding out that it was a lot more difficult to manage people and parents and all of the different things that go into sports programs and decided to go a different trajectory and um, umpiring became a way just to stay involved with the sport. Uh, believe it or not, you need to have umpires to have the game. So, you know, when your kids are out there, remember that folks that are coming to umpire or ref or whatever you want to call them while you're yelling, they're coming from a regular day job, um, usually. And so, yeah, it's important to humanize being an umpire and to, to understand that folks are coming from all walks of life. So you got doctors, lawyers, um, people coming from really hard labor jobs and coming out just so that your kid can play a sport. So yeah. I started out in the high school level, um, didn't realize all of the education that goes into learning how to actually officiate a sport. And I was learning and growing and went to a tournament and got spotted. I got lucky. Um, life is about being in the right place at the right time. So, so. Wait, you got spotted as a umpire or rep. Right. So That's, U.S. Oh, field hockey. They, I didn't even know that they did that. Like yeah. you always hear about them, like spotting players. Ooh, right. you're talented. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, USA Field Hockey has a lot of different events, and they always need umpires. Are always desperate, asking folks to come so that they can get as many participants as possible. Now, obviously, things are going to be adapting this year, but yeah, um, yeah. yeah we'll these events, that. they they definitely are looking for potential people that can move up in the world of umpiring because. Believe it or not, to have the Olympics, you need to have Olympic-level umpires. So um, I ended up being in a track where I became an international field hockey umpire, um, but not without a little bit of sacrifice. And so, yeah, yeah, we can talk about that if you want. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's go into it. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, you're kind of hitting on some of my questions, which 
talked about umpire decisions versus refs and, you know, something to keep in mind that they are human people. They are human beings. <laughs> they have feelings. Be nice to them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I would question the people watching if they think, um, if they realize or watch the Olympics or other sports, even FIFA and soccer, and they watch how like the, the stadiums chant and they're always, I, maybe I just don't understand the language, but like, it seems like they're chanting for their team rather than against the umpires. But whenever I'm in the States, maybe it's just because I understand the English or the um, maybe the inflection or the tone is more understandable to me. But it always seems like we're rooting against the umpires or the refs instead of um, rooting for our teams. And so it's something to, to think about when you're at a sporting event. See if you catch yourself yeah. rooting you know, against the umpires or blaming the umpires for your team's success or loss or if you're actually truly rooting for your team. Yeah, it's very true. And we, yeah, we talked about uh, we chatted about unconscious bias in refing. Is it even possible? <laughs> right. Right. So, um, you know, as a, as a referee or an umpire, you go into every match trying to be as unbiased as possible, but we're all human beings. And so what's really interesting in some of the workshops and clinics I do at field hockey camps, um, in the area is I try to teach the players that there's actually, um, some benefit to you being kind to the person that is umpiring. Because oftentimes, if you think about it in the workplace, even if someone's really mean to you and really challenging you on everything, mm -hmm. the likelihood you're going to go with a 50-50 decision for that person uh, is not high, just simply because of the way you feel. Not intentionally, but just the way that you, your body or your mind automatically reacts. And so it's really important to keep that in mind, yeah. to keep in mind that the referee is human. And you know what? Sometimes a compliment can go a really long way when you're out in the field. So like, hey... Thanks for spotting that ref like that or umpire, you know, right. that that can go a long way as far as building rapport and understanding between um, the decisions that an umpire is making and the way that the game is trying to flow. So when we're out there as referees or umpires, we're out there trying to make the game go as smoothly as possible. We're not looking to take decisions. We're not looking to blow our whistle typically, but we're there to manage the game and make it successful for all the teams involved. Yeah. So when you I guess I mean, I guess we'll talk about fall 2019. Because in reality, if there wasn't COVID, you would not be here right now doing this interview with me. Right. So thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so at, at the height of your, is that, that's the height of your season in Philly. Field hockey is usually fall. So how many, how many games do you? Um, for the fall season, typically I do somewhere around 40 games a uh, fall season for, that's college hockey yeah. here in the U.S., um, we are lucky that we have college field hockey. Many countries just have um, their sports are all based out of clubs. Hmm. Um, so that's oftentimes where you see the clubs develop into professional sports. So, yeah, so the fall is usually my busy time. I usually travel every single weekend. Most weekdays I have local games where I'll try to help different assigners out or I'll actually work with other partners so that I can share experiences and things I've learned with other folks and they can do the same with me. So that's how we develop and improve is uh, every time we're out in the field, experience is what helps make us better. Yeah. And your international travel, I'm really, I was really blown away. I was surprised by that. <laughs> yeah. I got lucky. I've, I've been to some cool places. Um, I was telling Krisha about the first time that I got called to go to an international tournament. I was a replacement of a replacement, probably of a replacement. So they were looking for somebody that could drop everything they were doing two weeks before uh, the tournament started in Brazil. It was called the South American Championships. And um, in order to go to Brazil, you have to have a very special visa. Um, it's expensive. 
I didn't have my current passport. So like I jumped through a bunch of hoops, um, asked off work at the time. I worked for FedEx ground and operations at the hub in, um, Lewis Berry. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so I really had to kind of jump through a lot of hoops and I took unpaid leave from my work and took a chance and mm-hmm. I went and got my international badge. And then since then I've been to back to South America several times, Argentina, Chile, um, over to New Zealand, which is hands down my favorite spot. Uh, the Netherlands, um, what? this past, this past spring, I was supposed to go to Germany, the mm. Netherlands and to Argentina, but, um, obviously, uh, the world had other plans. Yeah. So what, what are they doing? I mean, is it just the seasons on pause or they're just getting ready to start back up? Unfortunately, I don't know the date off the top of my head, but, um, it's called FIH pro league. If you want to see mm. some really great hockey and see hockey played at the highest level. And, and when I say hockey, we mean field hockey, field hockey. So field hockey. <laughs> that's played on AstroTurf and it's super high speed. So if you're remembering hockey from your gym school day, like you're in gym, it's a little bit different than that. It's um, super high it's speed, bad. very high skill and, um, pretty intense to watch when you see incredible players and high performance athletes yeah, participating. It definitely, it definitely is. Yeah. And I, uh, I mean, I, I played a little bit in high school, it's, but I did it. So we, I what do, you're I saying is we should be on the field right now trying it out, giving uh, a demo. Yeah, it'd be a lot slower. Um, and yeah, yeah. Sometime we could uh, we could do a play demo in the field. That'd be great. I did do an adult league over at Red Rose for a little bit, but I just realized how old I had gotten, and it was a lot easier when I was like. 16, 17. <laughs> but right. I love it. I love that. The whack the ball. I love driving it. That like, that, oh, I love that sound. But uh, I do miss it a lot. So I think it's really awesome. I admire your, your hockey skills. Do you get to play anymore? Uh, I haven't played much. I get a little <laughs> too competitive. I may have gotten into umpiring because I used to challenge them quite a bit when I was oh. on the field. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do tell. <laughs> yeah. Did, you ever get, did you ever get kicked out of a game? I have. It's oh, quite embarrassing. It was in my many, adult years. Yeah. How many times? How many times? Just once. Oh, I got a okay. red card for somebody else doing something to me. But oh. I think they just actually <laughs> wanted to kick me off so that they could use me to umpire <laughs> another game. So that actually probably is the real reason. Oh, people are saying that you're a phenomenal <laughs> ref. Oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> she is. Are they okay? Are they feeling okay? I don't think they hit their heads today. I think they're, <laughs> I think they're okay. Take that credit, love. Yeah. Well, so last year I did end up um, umpiring the final of the NCAA Division One championships, and so that's pretty. Um, that's pretty that's awesome pretty to be awesome. able to do. So, um, and definitely some exciting hockey. It's really cool to see the girls kind of develop, especially here out of Lancaster County. Um, yeah. We have a lot of phenomenal athletes that go on to play Division One field hockey. It pays for over a quarter million dollars worth of your education. Like that's incredible that's nice. to me, right? If you think yeah. about college over four years or five years. A sport is helping to make these people ready for the real world, if you will. Yeah. So, um, but then they get that extra um, experience of being out in the field and teamwork. And there's so many things that sport teach. So as we kind of are navigating this new normal, I think it's really important that sports stay a part of these, a lot of kids' lives. So definitely has taught me a lot of life lessons. Well, you are the first international ref I've ever met in my life. So. <laughs> yeah. How do you get to the Olympic team? Is that, there are like different levels? I mean, I'm sure there's different qualifications. And yeah, stuff. so every time you go to a tournament, you're being critiqued not only by the fans and the players, but also mm-hmm. by somebody who's called an umpire manager. 
and the umpire manager basically kind of does, does a um, report card for you and you mm. get graded. And then depending on your style and your personality and, you know, all the things that go into relationship building, depending on what teams you've umpired and what things have happened, you'll get selected to go different places. And it's much like um, getting promoted at work. Uh, mm -hmm. When you're looking for mo promotions in, in the FIH, it's, you know, having the experience and putting in the effort and being ready and match fit and mentally fit and all of the things that go into being good at any job, really. How many umpire umpires do they use uh, for the Olympics? Do you know? mm, that's a good question. I don't know off the top of my head yeah. because it depends on the number of teams in the event. And, then, and yeah. I'm uncertain how the um, postponed, I can't remember how many total appointments there were so forgive me for that yeah i want to say something like 16 um, but it makes for a very long uh, experience because you may umpire and this is one thing people also don't realize at the international level for tournaments is you may umpire one day but it may be a full week until you're actually on the field because there's several different positions that you could hold you could hold a reserve umpire which is actually not on the field you're ready in case mm -hmm. somebody goes down and you kind of assist on the side um and you don't partake in any of the decision-making of the match, or you could be a video umpire. Mm. Uh, and that is when you're sitting in the booth, kind of like we are right now, right, but I'd talk. be looking at the screen and replaying yeah. and seeing if your decision was right, wrong, um, if there's a reason to uphold it or to, uh, turn it over. So yeah, yeah there's multi a multitude of roles at the games. There's also technical officials that most people don't know about, and they are on the side, like keeping the score or keeping substitutes making sure that all of the sideline work is managed and that it, it can be ruled an official match for FIH. So there are certain standards that have to be in place. So nice. interesting. Yeah. Well, I definitely have learned a lot. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, so let's touch on the fact that you're a firefighter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did that come about? Once to take us back to your first experience. Right. So I landed here in Lancaster. My grandparents were here. So like if you guys have the same relationship as I did with my grandparents, like that's all goodness. So Lancaster for me was always associated with all goodness. And now it really does because we looked here to invest in a property. Mm -hmm. um, it was also the home of USA Field Hockey when they were at the Nook. Yeah. And so it just made sense that we would invest here. So I bought this vacation home, this home with two units and decided to run it on Airbnb. And suddenly... I had to go through some zoning stuff with the township mm -hmm. and I realized, boy, I think I'm kind of adding a fire risk to my community. So I started my application for the volunteer fire service, much like you have, Krisha. And <laughs> I, I don't think I'm going to get to your level, I hit the, though. I appreciate it. I hit the clearances and it kind of held me back a little bit just because it was going to take some time, right? So, you know, whenever you have to put effort into becoming a volunteer, it feels a little overwhelming. But I encourage folks out there listening to don't stop there. Go get it done and sign up because this has been one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. So fast forward a couple years, the house was a true blessing because I was here for the final years of my grandmother's life. Yeah. And, you know, that can consume a bunch of your time when you're helping someone in their final stages. And um, when she was gone, it was a blessing, but it was also this big gap of, okay, well, why do I exist? And um, what is mm -hmm. my purpose? Right. And uh, luckily, I've got great cousins that are um, in the LCBC worship team. And just real subtle invitation of like, hey, why don't you come see what we're about at LCBC? This, this next series is called The Purpose Driven Life. And this is two years after I started that application. And so mm -hmm. I'm like, what? Okay, well, I'm Christian, but I really was kind of your, uh, let's see, your holiday church goer. I didn't mm -hmm. go every Sunday and 
Um, so yeah, I said, okay, well I'll give that a try. At least it'll give me somebody to like something to connect with and fill that gap. And so each Sunday for me, because of my sports background was like a locker room speech. So every Sunday I went, something new was being told to me, obviously you can't do this alone. And then the, the one that got me the most is, um, when they said, you know, God's going to nudge you to do something that's outside of your comfort zone. And literally that next day, guess what resurfaced in my big pile of paperwork, that application. And because I was umpiring hockey here locally, I had all my clearances done because you have to do that for the Pennsylvania state association. So there it was stapled it all together, turned it in. Don't even remember checking the firefighter box. I I thought I hit the associate member box, (laughs) but apparently I hit firefighter and, um, yeah, thousands of hours later of training and thousands of hours later of volunteering to pay our community's bills and network with folks and try and find ways to, you know, encourage other people to get involved. Uh, here I am. And so, wow. So you never had a moment of like, let me just try to erase that because I didn't know that I was actually going to be going into a fire. (laughs) Yeah. Well, when, I don't know, when faith takes you someplace and you fall and you find a calling, um, boy, it's, it's truly rewarding. Are there bumps and things along the road? Of course. And you walk into things that you never knew you'd be kind of burdened down by. Like today was like running around like crazy, getting ready for our chicken barbecue fundraiser this weekend. And Mm -hmm. Who knew I was going to be consumed by that? And, and oftentimes I'm putting more time into that than my own business, but shh, don't tell yeah. my partner that. No, I know. <laughs> well, I'm, I'll help you with that. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll definitely help you with that. Um, so tell me about that. What does it feel like when you're, you're in the depths right. of a fire, the throes of a fire? Right. Well, I guess this is another situation where I like to challenge people to think about when you dial 911 too, because three years ago, I never knew. I just called 911 if I had an emergency, right? And we don't all call that number very often. Um, And when you do, you just kind of expect the right people to show up and you don't know where they're coming from. But, um, you know, if you're in East Lampeter Township, just east of the city, when you dial 911 during the day, you're likely um, for a fire incident or a vehicle accident, you're likely going to see me. Um, and I'm probably leaving my job or leaving like yesterday there was a call and I was pushing a full grocery cart for my business through grocery outlet. Um, luckily I have a great relationship with the owners of them. So after we went into the fire and came back out and I could get my cell phone, I called up and said, Hey, sorry, I left a giant cart of groceries. Could you save that for me? I won't be back in time. Yeah. There's a reason I'm a crazy woman running through that. Right. Right. (laughs) Gotta go. Yes. We should let people know, uh, if she does get a call, she could bounce on this interview. No, I I cut out some time for you. I appreciate it. Yeah. The the boys are off work. That's the other thing is that it's really hard to find volunteers during the daytime. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, if you do have free time during the day and you're an athlete this is the hardest sport I've ever done that's Um, a good point and if you love athletics and like CrossFit or anything extreme this is it like this is forget going to the gym you just got to show up and do the training for fire stuff and you'll you'll see a whole nother level of uh, your o2 capacity let me tell you that yes and so so you are a firefighter and you're also the community outreach initiative uh you help bring in the volunteers and set up the events for Lafayette Fire Company. Yeah, so Lafayette Fire sits in a unique area. So we sit just east of the city. So we have a very um, big variety of customers that we serve. So we have um, the, the homes on King Street. We go down into the Bridgeport area. 
Then we move on over into a very industrial area and then neighborhoods and then the whole strip down Lincoln Highway where you have all your stores, your outlets and all that type of thing. But we, we just recently became a 501c3, so we're really excited to see what that nonprofit status does for us as far as funding. But the community nice. outreach um, initiatives that we have right now, we established this committee to basically get people on board like yourself mm-hmm. that can help us connect with the community, find out what you know their needs are beyond when you dial 911, but also to how to educate them, how to educate people that volunteers are basically running these multi-million dollar nonprofit fire companies all across Lancaster County and all across the United States. In fact, there's some staggering number between 75 and 95% of all fire companies. The numbers uh, dramatically changing because there's a lot of combination paid and volunteer mm-hmm. companies happening in order yeah. to improve the service to the to our communities. But 75 to 95% of all fire companies are actually volunteer based. So remember mm-hmm. that when you're dialing 911 that you're Neighbors are leaving dinner tables, they're leaving bed, they're leaving work, um, they're sacrificing their jobs and livelihood and family life to come and serve your need. And and they want to do that, so it's not a matter of them not wanting to do that, but it's a matter of just understanding where the, the manpower and, and all of that comes from. Yeah, yeah. And your, your um, firehouse, is, it's pretty cool. Um, it's kind of like set up like, well, you have a little museum in the front and you guys encourage people to stop by, um, check out the views, you know, bring the kids. You guys are really big on education and fire education. And I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit. Um, but I just want to say from a personal standpoint, the volunteer work that I've lately done, and I do need to officially complete the rest of my stuff, but I help <laughs> on the social media side with your, um, planning and your marketing, um, and, you know, they need volunteers as far as admin, um, any event services that you can offer. Mm-hmm. So when I, I encourage people, and I know you do too, that when you think about volunteering as a firefighter, I mean, technically I'm under a firefighter, but I don't go into fires and you don't need to. You can right. help in other ways. So um, there's multitude of levels of volunteering. So for us, we actually have a fire police di- division as well, um, which helps to make sh- sure that the scene is safe. Um, so they basically make sure that the roads are blocked so that people don't run over the, the lines and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's all life safety. And, and then you have folks that are on the associate member side and they are ones that are uh, making sure that all of the paperwork, all the events and all that kind of stuff um, get done. And there's all kinds of things you can do. I, I'm really trying to encourage if you're watching this and you're anywhere 14 and older, you are welcome to join us. Uh, you're welcome to join any fire company that's close by to you that's volunteer-based um, and offer your services. If you like videography, if you like doing podcasts, if you like going live on social media, um, go yeah, do they it. Need it. TikTok, um, they need yeah, it. They yeah. do TikTok. They have their own TikTok. We do have a TikTok. We don't use it very often. Uh, you got to get back. We got to. We, I know we're talking about being consistent. We're talking right, <laughs> right. It just requires people to manage that. To and so if it. you think about it, I've put thousands of hours of training into physically being ready to respond to emergencies, but the number of hours is spent um, on the paperwork side to pay the bills. I don't think a lot of people understand quite how expensive it is mm-hmm. to, to run a fire company. For example, our building is $4.4 million when we built it in 2011. Half of it got paid for by a grant, um, a big portion paid for by um, high companies, which we're very grateful for, and several other mm-hmm. large um, donations by businesses. And now we're left with still a million dollars left to pay 10 years later. So 
Um, that's a big undertaking, especially when some of the pieces of equipment that are sitting in your building are also a million dollars that you yeah. have to pay for. And you have to change those out periodically. Like, Service. yeah, right now we have a 1978 Mac that we run as a second line piece out the door for most of our fires. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, that's most people don't drive 1978 cars. So, <laughs> uh, we're pretty proud of it because it's a reflection of how much we do take care of our equipment and what we do to, uh, the pride we show in, in the fire service. Uh, that's a really big thing. And so it's a pretty unique piece. We're also orange. So if you see the orange fire trucks around town, um, that's also unique. They it are. was a, uh, paint mistake back in 1949 when we got a, a Chevy painted it, it got painted the wrong color according to the specs. But when it came back, the membership said, ha, ah, this is pretty cool. So now we're orange. Yeah. It's not cheap to repaint those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you think is uh, maybe the biggest misconception about firefighting or being a firefighter? The biggest misconception, uh, that it's all like running into fires and buildings. I mean, I think it's more about building teamwork, training, um, always being prepared. Uh, I guess it's also a really big challenge to balance. I've seen a lot of my brothers and sisters where uh, they spend almost too much time in the volunteer service and it, it can sacrifice a lot. And it's the same as most of you guys, if you're, you got a day job and you work too much, right? Yeah. Well, now you have a day job and you have this other quote unquote volunteer job that can happen at all hours. So a lot of us volunteer, um, but we, we choose to go to the food bank from you know six to eight and we're done. Um, yeah. This volunteer job happens to be sporadic. So yesterday I left at 6 p.m. and I didn't get back until midnight. Um, and then we had to wrap up and I think I got into bed by one o'clock in the morning. So it's just, that happens. And that's why we're ready and able to volunteer. But, um, mi biggest misconception is that we're just always sitting probably at the firehouse waiting to leave though. We would love to have shifts and be able to sacrifice all of our regular day, day jobs and lives. Um, and it's we try, we strive to have people in house to, so that we can respond quickly. Most of us are coming from somewhere else. So when, you call 911, there's a delay between when they dispatch us, when we get that message that, hey, there's an incident that you need to report to the station. And depending where you are, um, that time frame is, is going to be important on how fast we can get out the door as volunteers. And that's a big difference between the paid staffing and the volunteer fire service. Yeah. But we really are taking initiative. We have a duty crew that um, staffs on weekends. We get out the door very quickly on weekends. And uh, anytime in the evenings when folks are home from work, we are pretty quick out the door. Yeah. So I was thinking as the colder weather hit today, or well, yesterday, and it's been beautiful. I love fall. Any um, cold weather tips for preventing firefighters or fires, fires. Yeah. fires <laughs> yeah. as we head into the to the winter season? Yeah. I mean, I think regular HVAC maintenance. We see a lot of um, incidents with HVAC systems. So just making sure that you're regularly maintaining that. If you have a company that you use that you get them out and make sure that um, you're ready to go for the colder weather because um, that most often can be one of the biggest issues. Uh, also making sure you keep space clearance around objects. If you're using electric heaters, don't plug them into electric cords. Um, electric cords in general, don't walk on them. Um, they're not Ooh. meant to be tread on, so don't place big heavy objects on top of them either. Um, and I would just say like if you have wood burning stoves or heaters that put off a lot of heat that you know they they recommend three foot clearance around those objects so don't put your furniture right up against and things like that so 
Yeah. It might be aesthetically pleasing, but might not. <laughs> right. And a lot of people are getting into the, you know, the wood stove and the ambiance of that. And so making sure if you have a chimney that that gets serviced as well and cleaned. Right. A lot of people forget about that whole maintenance issue and getting the creosote out of the chimney. So, yeah. yeah. Good points. Good points. <laughs> it blows my mind that, you know, way, way back in the day, they would put or they put uh, candles, actual candles on Christmas trees to light them. I mean, right. you know, like 1920s, whatever, but like, oh my gosh. Right. <laughs> Christmas trees are like one of the, yeah, they're a huge top. fire risk. So make mm-hmm. sure that thing stays water so we don't have to water it for you. That's so. right. You'll be watering everything. You can water everything for them. Yeah. <laughs> and then some. Speaking right. of water, let's talk about the 1860 waterfall retreat. Yeah. Well, if you haven't been there, you're missing out. (laughs) You Um, are. It's beautiful. (laughs) Right. So uh, I mentioned that we had bought a, it's a two unit 1860s farmhouse. We're located over near the old millhouse shops on Strasburg Pike. We're actually Mm -hmm. just over the Mill Creek from them. Um, Great neighbors, by the way, if you, uh, if you ever need to shop for primitive decor. Um, yeah, they're phenomenal people and great family owned business since 1976. So Yeah. (laughs) You're good great. good little yeah a little spot for i know shops. Look at you but i love the fact that support local business i'm yes, all about it my parents yes. i've been going there since i was like in high school my parents used to take me there when right. they were doing their kitchen for lighting fixtures so i it's yeah. a it's a beautiful area beautiful area and you're i mean there literally is like a waterfall in your backyard. Right. It's very beautiful. So the water in the backyard is from the old dam from um, Bonholzer's Mill, it is called now, but it was Groff's Mill way back when. And we're in a little town called Fertility. If you look on Google Maps, they oh, kind of, yeah. I had no idea. Like, they no idea. It. People look at that, you know, and they're like, Fertility? It's what? Like, where the heck is that? We like our wild names in, in Pennsylvania, right? I do, we do. <laughs> yeah, no, this was named after the post office, which was named after the fact that so um, the Mill Creek spills its banks quite periodically. And so when it does that, it makes the ground all around that pretty fertile. So that's why we were, okay. that town is named Fertility. I think it was originally like 11 parcels, um, but those parcels in the olden days were all big farms. Uh, yeah. Now it stretches a, a good portion of Strasburg Pike, the, the town of Fertility. So, so many stuff. jokes. So many jokes yes, I want to make right go, now. I'm just, we could go I'm deep holding it. I'm holding yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so do you got, you have, so we are on, you're on Airbnb. How can we be a good guest as a, how can we be a good Airbnb guest? A good what's, Airbnb what's, guest. How, how All right. are we polite? What can we do as we use Airbnb more and more? <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I think a lot of people have really taken to Airbnb and hopefully the guests and people watching this um, love it and love the experience. It's different than a hotel experience for sure. Um, And it's important that you treat the home like it's not your, like it's somebody else's personal Mm -hmm. space and home. I think people forget sometimes when you go other places that somebody has to come in and clean up after you. So if you wouldn't want to clean it up, maybe think about cleaning it up yourself. (laughs) Susie Um, doesn't want to clean it up either, folks. Pretty much. Pretty much. much. Uh, I'm lucky to have some pretty amazing cleaners that uh, that have helped me out and uh, over the last uh, four years. So And that's a big portion of it. It's just um, communication. So letting us know why you're coming to town, why you need you know, why you need the space. What do you need out of the space so that we can help make your stay great? You can't, I can't help you if I don't know what you need. So, um, I can try and guess and, um, and see what I can do ahead of, ahead of the, the curve, but 
uh, for me, it's, it's like, if you communicate, you tell me what you need, I'll do my best to give you everything. Um, and then some, so we really try to serve others well. And that's our, that's our motto. We like to have people come in and tell us like uh, a lot of families gather since we have two units, mm -hmm. it's a good place to come with your in-laws by yes. the way. So Very you can true. lock yourself in one unit while they're in the other. But we also have a second house right next door. So the two the two unit farmhouse is a 1860s waterfall retreat, and it's um, 93 Strasburg Pike. If you ever want to drive by and you're in the area, yeah. And then just down the street is 99 house, just next to it, and that one has uh, we just acquired that or purchased it from our neighbors. So mm -hmm. very lucky to have great neighbors. So and uh, we missed them terribly because they were our go-to when I was traveling all the time. If I had any kind of issues or if the water started to rise, you know, I could call <laughs> home and say, hey, what's it looking like? How bad is it? Yeah, and checking in on our guests and things like that <laughs> if we had to. But um, yeah. yeah, so great oh. communication, being tidy and um, just, you know, enjoying yourself and letting us know how we can help you have an excellent time in Lancaster. And also, plus, 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 you're dog friendly. Yes, the the um, old farmhouse, 93 is dog friendly, 99 is not. It has carpet, so yeah, I'm kind of learning about that whole carpet mm, thing, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the old the old floors in the original farmhouse, they're happy with the dogs coming through, but yeah. the carpet, not so much. Yeah, so yes, she's very pet friendly. She's an awesome dog mom, and her pup is very, very sweet, and he'll be around sometimes to say hi. Yes. Do, do, you, uh, do you guys hold events there? So we haven't really held a whole lot of events there. Um, it, the parking area is a bit small, but we do back up to uh, Flory Park. And mm -hmm. so that's really nice addition because, you, you know, you're out back, you're enjoying the waterfall, the view. We have a lot of games, outdoor games, croquet, horseshoes. Um, and then you can just walk across the creek. We have our own little footbridge across this little brook in the back and you can walk into the park. And so we've had a couple of events, but the parking can be a little bit tight. Old Milha Shops is... Um, an option too, but um, we had had one um, person celebrate their their wedding there, and mm -hmm. we're looking to have small type events now that um, we're in this new normal. So yeah. we're yeah. excited to host some folks, especially with having both houses. Now we've added a little space yes. that we can we can do events of uh, you know probably up to about a hundred people max. Uh, that would be stretching it, but and that way you can have the both houses. And for Walk a full weekend, right? And <laughs> we have enough room for a big old tent out back. So yeah, let's, let's do it. You're welcome to kind of look me up and ask how we could work with you. Um, we worked with a wedding planner called Simple Soiree and she was helping kind of guide me on, on price points and what mm -hmm. we can do and can't do in the back. And so that's, that's a cool thing too, is trying to kind of navigate into that world, but not be greedy. Yeah. That's not what we're about. We're, we're here to help serve others and try and give you something that is valuable to you mm -hmm. while make, being profitable because you got to take out, <laughs> look out for yourself too. So, Hey Susie, I didn't tell you about this part, but, um, I'm going to ask you three random questions. Uh Oh, ah. you can do it. Um, who has influenced you? Who has influenced me throughout your life? Not just in the second. I mean, I know it's me, but like you can expand right. upon different options. <laughs> Who has influenced me? Wow. This is a good question. Obviously my parents, um, yeah, both parents have been huge influences in my life. They provided structure and discipline and the sport was incredible in helping to develop me. Um, I'd say my parents are my biggest influencers to mm -hmm. this day. And sometimes I'm still that person at this age. that's like, 
Oh my goodness, that was my mom coming out. <laughs> oh yeah, no, yeah. that definitely. Or happens. that was my dad. Uh, oh, there goes yeah. my dad. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel that too. Yeah. Well, yeah, they, so, you have a beautiful character, so <laughs> they did a fantastic job. Cheers, cheers to that. Yeah, cheers. cheers to the parents. Cheers. You got to yeah. to raising them right and having great character. List your three favorite sounds. Three favorite sounds. Well, a new one's gonna be um, the siren power call. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. The air horn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the whistle. So loud things. Okay, the whistle. All right. That's right. what I was But yeah. Yeah. Probably should enter in. Can I go four with the waterfall? Because that okay. waterfall sound out back is epic. And that's the reason that we bought the house. But it yeah. Is, yeah, it is epic. Yeah. I want to check it out in the wintertime. Because I, I think that looked really cool with the... Does it, does it freeze, really, with the icicles? So it used to freeze. Because my neighbors up the street told me they used to go ice skating, have big old bonfires out back. So oh. I would love for it to freeze. Because we would have a bonfire and y'all would be there. That would be so, awesome. Yeah. We but would. um. I haven't seen it freeze yet. It does have some cool things that like happen. It freezes over the dam, but the water's mm-hmm. still running over still running, type of thing. Right. So, but I would love to see it frozen hard so we could go ice skating. And yeah, that would be, be really fun. awesome. That I'm a terrible ice skater, by the way. That is a Lancaster County thing. I have never roller skated, but not ice skated. I Yeah. I needed the cone. So like <laughs> that was one thing I was really bad at in high school. The girls like, they were like, oh my gosh, we're better than Susie at something. So I distinctly remember that well you cannot be great at everything it's embarrassing <laughs> it's embarrassing i need the big pillow like on my butt or like i need to be like <laughs> the kid in the christmas story it's all like padded up everywhere right <laughs> right um name one thing you want people to know about you one thing i want people to know about me is that i am passionate about serving god and serving others well nice i think that is a good conclusion thank you my dear for joining me tonight of course I had a wonderful time. Make sure you check Susie out and uh, go volunteer and support our community and uh, go catch her on Airbnb. Thanks, love. Let's Chat is a proud member of the Candy Factory Collective. You can find the show streaming on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, and LinkedIn. And you can subscribe to the audio version anywhere you get your podcasts. Christian Martzel is a photographer who believes in the power of women. The power of seeing yourself in a true, authentic, beautiful way through boudoir photography. She's the owner of Christian Lynn Photography, a daily wearer of the color black, foodie, and podcast lover. Let's Chat is produced by the Candy Factory Collective at the Candy Factory co-working campus in Lancaster, PA. Production support by Anna Tran. Administrative support by Ann Kirby, Ariana Henderson, Robert Diggs, and Jason Mundock. Notes and links can be found on the show post at our website, candyfactorycollective.com. Candy Factory. Collective.